My name is James Callis. I play Dr. Gaius Baltar on Battlestar Galactica, and you're listening to Galactical Quorum. Certainly the first time the crew walked on set, I think everyone was a little dumbstruck as to what the hell are we going to do? Hello, welcome to the Galactica Quorum. It's a fracking podcast about Battlestar Galactica and Caprica. This is show 82. We have a website that is galacticacorum.com. You can send us an email at gquorum at gmail.com. That's spelled G-Q-U-O-R-U-M. Send us a voicemail at 301-358-5175. Follow us on Twitter. Our name is Galactica Quorum. And look for us on Facebook, too. Things have been a little bit quiet on the podcast front, but things are working behind the scenes. Caprica is coming up very shortly, and we will be covering that. We also have a few more Battlestar-related things to talk about. The plan came out on DVD. We'll be devoting an episode or possibly two about that. And we also have other podcast projects in the works, which we will be announcing very soon. In this episode, we have an interview with Doug McLean, who is the art director for Battlestar Galactica and Caprica. I first met Doug back at the prop auction in Pasadena last January, where we did a Q&A session asking questions about his role as the art director for Battlestar. We had a recording of that, but it didn't really turn out so well, so Doug was gracious enough to uh, give me another interview, this time over the phone, and actually turned out a little bit better because we could talk a little bit longer and go into some other things, including what Caprica is going to be like. So let's move into that interview. We're talking with Doug McLean, who's the art director for Battlestar Galactica, and now Caprica as well. I guess we should start... How did you get involved, first of all, with Battlestar Galactica? How did that come about? Well, Battlestar, I guess, happened for both uh, Richard Udall and his production designer and myself because of a, a small pilot that we had done for a series called Haunted, which was the pilot was shot up here in Vancouver, and Michael Reimer was the director of it. We enjoyed that process, and the... Uh, Michael enjoyed working with us. So when uh, Battlestar came about, Ron and David had approached Michael to do the, uh, the miniseries and to do it uh, up here in Vancouver. Michael immediately thought of Richard, and then I'm the next part of that thought. So we started on that. Uh, it was about, I guess it was about a year and a half or so from when we had done the haunted thing to when Battlestar came up. So it was... Uh, Definitely a, a nice surprise. It's always nice to hear from people that you have been working with, and then they seem to have enjoyed the process enough that they come back. And as the art director, what does entail when you're the art director? What When the producer comes and has an idea, what process do you go through when they tell you what they need? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of like herding cats. <laughs> when Ron and David approached Richard, uh, they obviously had some kind of mandate and thoughts on, on what they felt the show was about. Then uh, we start from there with basically the script and sort of discussions with them. Then we basically have to put together a department, uh, find people to do the set design, the graphics, find the construction department, paint, uh, get all of that together, and then create the designs and then the physical sets. So the art direction part of it is a, a lot of it is organizational. I spend a lot of my time basically trying to keep a group of people on a kind of cohesive 
journey to try and realize with the end product what uh, the producers, the writers, the director, the production designer have all talked about and sort of have as their vision. So, as I say, it's a fairly large group of people, and a lot of them, well, all of them really are very creative people. So everyone has their ideas, the things that they felt when they uh, read through the script. They talk with various people involved, and a large part of my job is trying to keep that going down the same path, and hopefully that everyone's ideas are enhancements to the basic direction that uh, the production designer and the director have started the machine rolling down. So that's a lot of a lot of what the, the art director winds up doing. Do the other departments come in pretty early in the process? Like, say there's something really fantastic, like we'll require a CG model. Does Gary Hutzel come in at some point and overlook yep. and see what's going on and then give him input? Yeah, when we did the, the pilot, the, the miniseries, Gary was on uh, before or as soon as uh, Richard and I were and developing a lot of ideas in parallel with us. A lot of the the ship exteriors, uh, those kinds of things, the Vipers, would be developed in conjunction, some of it through Gary's artists, some of it through ours, a real back-and-forth process. So it's very definitely a, a cooperative kind of thing. Sometimes it's just we're doing a physical part, and then Gary is kind of considering that and adding exteriors to incorporate that. They'll They'll usually keep us in the loop of those things, but for example, the art department would have some input into the exterior of the Galactica, for example, but most of that would be handled by visual effects and their artists. So it's there's a lot of dialogue going back and forth and trying to integrate the two, but uh, it's not one. I think one of the things people often feel is that it's kind of single individuals in a very cohesive linear thought of this moment of inspiration and it, it all kind of flows from there. But in fact, it's a very much more organic. It involves a lot of people. There's different approaches. Say everyone, everyone brings something to the party. Everyone has an idea, has a thought. And, and when it all meshes together and you can kind of keep it all moving forward and in the right direction and everything just augments itself. The things that visual effects do bounce back and give things in the construction and art department end of it inspiration for a physical thing and vice versa. So it's, uh, and as I say, every step along the way, hopefully it gets added to and, and improved. When someone looks at a photo from a set or at a prop, they can often identify what movie or show it came from without any other context, just because it has a certain style to it. What would you say defines the Battlestar Galactica look? Wow, that's that's a tough one. Apart from the very obvious ones, that if it's a piece of paper, it's going to have the corners clipped <laughs> on. I think there's... Because the show was set in a fairly singular environment, we were on one ship, at least initially. The Battlestar had a very strong uh, dynamic to it. It was There was a scale and a heaviness to it, a lot of light and dark playing off each other. And I think that kind of reflected through a lot of the things in the show. Into that element, you then brought various civilian groups and, and things, but the initial kind of aesthetic was a very strong, it had a kind of militaristic feel to it, and I think that kind of infused the whole show to a certain extent. It was a very visceral kind of thing that Ron and David wanted to go right from the beginning with the ship itself. They didn't want the highly futuristic sci-fi world. 
lots of lit panels with touchscreens and a small crew running a large ship. They wanted to have a real sense that it was a battleship. It was orders were carried from hand to hand. Microphones were wired into things. Steering the ship wasn't one guy at a lit panel. There were, when you were in the CIC, there were 20 or 30 people involved in keeping that ship moving. There were four helmsmen who did nothing but steer the ship. There was engineering. There were all of those divisions of people there. So things were very hands-on, and I think that then translated down through all of the props and the set deck, that it had that kind of look. And because it was hands-on, it was very handled, and it was very worn and very used. So I think that would be kind of the, the look or the aesthetic of just about everything in the show. There wasn't much that was new in the show. And again, we're on a ship that has been cut off from all of its support systems, really. There is no planetary system left. There is no support ships. It's the one ship left of the military in that sense. So it, it's starting to get on its last legs, and, and it's showing that. And, and that carried through the civilian things as well. People are dressed in what they took with them on the day, and that is sort of reflected down through everything. The props, the uh, a magazine would be a magazine that's not necessarily being published at the time frame of the episode, but had been left over from months earlier, and it was the one that someone had brought with them on the ship that they were traveling on. So I, I think that kind of showed through all of the things. That, to me, would be the, the look and the basic aesthetic of the show. It's worn, it's real, it's very handheld. Now, of course, there was an original series that preceded this, so did it make it easier or harder to come up with designs because you had something that people already had in their mindset about what's you know, what they thought a Viper would look like or what uh, yeah, some things would look like? There are certainly, um, in that sense, it's easier. You're not starting with a totally blank slate. The one thing that Ron and David sort of said right at the beginning is it doesn't have to be, as matter, we don't want it to be the old series, but certainly the Battlestar itself, for example, you, there is a, a look that people did come to expect from it. And I think we kind of took the items from the original show that were fairly iconic and still tried to use them a bit, but not sticking directly to them, trying to develop them more, as I say, in that sensibility that we had, that it was uh, much grittier and less sort of sci-fi-ish and when the show came out, it was the original show. It was sort of on the heels of Star Wars, and I think people wanted and, and were expecting that kind of futuristic look. We wanted to, to counter that a fair bit and, and almost get into a somewhat retro feel with it. So it was it was easier in one sense, and I don't think it was any more difficult to uh, say it. It was just sort of going, okay, we're not going to stay necessarily within the bounds, but they did a number of things quite well on the original show, and so certainly we felt no qualms about celebrating those. Now, one of the big differences between the original and the current show, Battlestar Galactica, was that there was alien creatures in the original. In the current one, there was so much that was grounded in the familiar that we're aware of, except for the Cylon base star, which is very organic and very different from everything we've ever seen. So was that an opportunity to go in a really unique creative direction as opposed to all the really hardwired stuff that we see on the Battlestar? Yes, that was probably one of the most interesting and most difficult design chunks of the run of the show. When we decided that we were actually going to go into a base star, we at that point we had an exterior look that had already been established initially in the miniseries, but we'd never been on it, and we didn't get on it really, I guess, until, I guess it was in season two. 
So when we were kind of approaching it, it was kind of with a great deal of trepidation, I think, from everyone. We wanted something that was so different from the world that we were spending most of the series in up until then. So you wanted to know that you were definitely not on the Galactica the moment you stepped onto the Cylon ship, and yet it raised all sorts of questions. So you kind of jump in both feet. We worked for quite a while, uh, Richard working with a, an illustrator and uh, Ron and David, trying to find a an aesthetic that was very different from the Battlestar itself. Still had a sense of the show. You don't want to suddenly be so different that you kind of jump out of things. Most of what we'd seen at the Cylons up until then had been seen a lot of number six, who is extremely elegant and beautiful. We'd seen the exterior of their ships, which were very sleek. So we, we started to take some of that into the interior. We came up with different ideas that we were playing with, one of which became the concept that the data just kind of flowed everywhere through the ship, through liquid the hybrid creature that is kind of at the center of it all and is linked directly, is sort of partially human, but is linked directly with the ship, then transmits all of that information out into the ship. The ship itself is almost alive. We wanted to do things, as I say, that were so radically different. For example, that uh, the Cylons could receive information from the ship just by placing their hands in these kind of fonts of liquid that all throughout the ship, the information flowed along kind of corridors, both either of liquid or of light, with the sense of the red eye and of constant streaming data that's coming by. We had a lot of projections. We had data projected on to people, because when you give up all of the things that we were so very used to with the Battlestar, um, if you want to show information or information being received, it's fairly easy. You look at a monitor and something comes up, and we understand that. We understand that you know, someone is looking at that, and that's part of our paradigm. We get that very quickly. What do you do when you want to show that someone is somehow receiving information just by sticking their hand in a basin of water? So we use projectors so that when they were doing that, we would physically see data streaming over them, and then it had to be kind of written into the dialogue what was happening. So it, it was a big challenge for us on the conceptual end of it, and a huge commitment from Ron and from David to kind of make that leap. And then it took a while for everyone to get used to it. Certainly the first time the crew walked on set, I think everyone was a little dumbstruck as to what the hell are we going to do? <laughs> In the Battlestar, it's easy. You've got 30, 40 people in the CIC. They're running around. They're flipping levers. They're throwing switches. They're talking. They're handing each other papers. They're exchanging information. They're talking into headsets. They're launching missiles. They're steering a ship. On the Cylon base ship, most of that happens internally from the hybrid speaking directly to the ship. So suddenly you've got half a dozen characters who really are supposedly manning this ship and doing things, but there's really nothing for them to do. So it was a very strong challenge to get scenes written in a certain way and then to act them, to get directors shooting and dealing with it in a certain way. It evolved a different style of shooting. On the uh, the Galactica and most of the things there, we became quite famous for our, our unsteady cam shots, the very jerky motion and frenetic documentary style. Suddenly you got into this very serene space and it just sort of 
didn't lend itself to that, and there weren't things to be doing and things to be snap-zooming over to. So the style became much more fluid and much more classical film in the sense of, you know, working from dollies more often. When things did get frenetic with you know, an attack or something, you might move into a more documentary style, but it became much more fluid. Even the music, when we got onto the Cylon Bay ship for the first time, we had that lovely piano music playing. And again, that was, I think, found and discovered after the fact that we didn't go into it thinking that was the kind of thing playing all the time in our backgrounds. It all evolved. So it was a big learning curve for everyone. It took, I think, quite a few episodes and quite a lot of time in post-production to figure out what was going on and how we actually would make it work. And it was a bit hairy for a while. People were trying to figure it out. I think eventually they did, and I thought it was great, and it provided a, say, a really strong contrast, and you instantly knew, you know, you weren't in Kansas anymore when you jumped over there. And set them, again, just set the Cylons apart as a different breed. So I thought it worked fairly successfully, but it was it was tough. You mentioned things happening over time and how things gelled. When you started working on the miniseries, and from when the episodic series began, that was a whole year. And then, of course, the series ran for four or five years. So were there any evolutionary processes of the sets and props that you started to like, reevaluate and then, not drastically, but just subtly made changes to as time went on? Oh, constantly. Not usually for a huge amount on aesthetic grounds, but just practicality is is certainly one of the driving forces behind a series. When you're doing a, a mini-series, you're, you have to deal with shooting over several weeks, but that's about it. You're not shooting constantly. You can do things that you couldn't do in a TV series, things that you discover and may be difficult, and then you can just deal with them in the short term. When you're going back to them again and again, require changes. A classic example of that would be the Viper helmet, the Viper pilot's helmets, which underwent a fairly extensive redesign from the miniseries to the series and driven pretty much by practicality things that could be you know jury rigged and you know get you through a few days of shooting were fine for one thing but when you were suddenly using them every week and dealing with getting a wide variety of actors in and out of them and shooting extensive green screen work you suddenly had to have them able to do different things and so you redesign things in that sense even the major set of the CIC and the hallways and the various rooms on the miniseries that all fit in one stage when we went to series it had to be divided between two stages partly because of size it just physically the stage we had in the mini was larger than the stages we had for the series but also because it then allowed us, because you split things over a couple of stages, that you could be shooting in one stage and reworking another stage. One of the things you'd kind of discover when you had a tour of the Galactica stages was that there were really two or three rooms that served for an awful lot of the ship. Probably 50% of it happened in those two or three rooms, which just dubbed our multi-purpose rooms. And they served as everything from Baltar's lab, the sick bay, the jail cells, the various crew quarters, the ready room, the different labs, the temple, uh, you, you name it, it, the firing range, all happened in basically a couple of rooms that had elements added and changed in and dressed and redressed. And so the ability to send people out for a day of shooting in the CIC and a day in the hangar bay, and then be able to change those sets over, bring them back in, make changes to the hangar bay area, 
was absolutely essential. So a lot of it gets driven by practicality. The series is very different. Your time schedules are compressed. You, you don't get to do the kind of block shooting that you do on a miniseries. So. so definitely a lot of things get revisited. But as I say, I don't think there were very many that were kind of major aesthetic revisits. It was mostly practicality. Mm-hmm. When we met at the prop auction back in January, there were lots of props on display, lots of sketches that were up for auction, and it occurred to me how those might be kind of a dying breed. Are the tools that the designers use changing to be done almost exclusively on computers, and do you foresee a time when almost all the design work will only exist digitally and we won't even have some of those sketches anymore? I definitely see that happening. We have always been a kind of a hybrid our department with electronic versus uh, physical sketches. But even that is leaning more and more towards the digital. If you take a look at even the stuff that was at the auction in season one and into season two, most of Ken Rebell's sketches, for example, were initially pencil sketches. And then in the miniseries and the first part of the first season, Even his color sketches were hand-painted with uh, a gouache or watercolor or marker. As you got further into the process or the the seasons, Ken's sketches still would initially be done in pencil, but then scanned into the computer and the color work was done in the computer and then it was printed. With all of our storyboarding, for example, it started initially with Ken doing pencil sketches. Then David McLean was... uh, storyboarding, doing a lot of pencil work. His pencil work then he would scan and finish off a bit in the computer. By the end of the series, David, his storyboarding would initially even start in the computer. He did all of the work purely in the computer. So it's most definitely shifting. On Battlestar, most of our set design was still done The drafting was still done physically on a board. That's reflective of the people that we have in our department. Ivana Vasek, who is our primary uh, set designer, has worked that way for many, many years and is just really good and really fast on the board and has not made the shift to the digital end of things. We did use different people on the miniseries and have used people in the series who do work digitally, so we do get a mix. And I think I'm seeing more and more, both in television and in features, departments that are going almost totally digital. And I think, yes, eventually people who hand draft will be very rare and will eventually disappear. And I think the same will hold true of hand drawing and sketching. I think that I think it will eventually all be in the computer. At the prop auction, you mentioned a part of the ship that you called the keel. Oh, yes. Yes. Could you describe how that was constructed? Sure. The keel was a great set, and I think a perfect example of the ingenuity and contributions of a whole bunch of people that made things really work on Battlestar. One of the things that we always strived to do was try not to get too claustrophobic. I mean, you're shooting a lot of a show in sets that even you know, while they are large, they're still very enclosed spaces. And whenever we could, we wanted to try you know, to get a sense that this is not a small ship, that there really is a sense of scale to it. When the show was coming to an end and we were dealing with the Battlestar starting to fall apart, they wrote a series of episodes where they wanted to go into a part of the ship that was kind of a structural core that really was 
where the ship was held together more than an area that we dealt with all the time and walking down our hallways and things. So we started to try and figure out how to do that and not to wind up having to spend hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to get the kind of scope and size, because you can imagine that whatever's holding this ship together is, is going to be fairly big. We talked about possibly doing it all virtually. That presents its own set of difficulties, because you then every shot has to be treated and dealt with uh, as a model, and every shot in a sequence has a digital element to it. So that also starts to get prohibitively expensive. We were wandering around the stage itself and looking at our CIC set, which sits right near the edges of our physical stage. And I was chatting with Ivana, and I said, well, what we really want is something that's like this. We want to be in the hull of the ship. We want to be between what the interior is and the outside edge. And we decided, well, let's just carry that metaphor out. So we actually took the space that was between the back of the set of the CIC and the physical wall of the stage. And at one end of it, there was a, the stages uh, that we're shooting in are about, I think, 40 to 50 feet high. The CIC is probably 20 feet high. And it sat about 10 feet or so off the wall. So you had a a kind of corridor that was already started there for us. And at one end of it, there's a huge steel stairwell that runs up the entire height of the building. So we kind of went, well, gosh, this is a good start right here. We've got a physical element of the wall on the outside, the interior wall, and a staircase. Let's start here. So we started with that. We then wound up building some very large beam structures that I guess about six of them or so that we put every 15 or 20 feet kind of down this hallway. And then by the nature of being a long, narrow corridor, it it forced you to kind of shoot along it. And you just had this enormous sense of scope and scale because the stage itself is 100 and some odd feet long. You're in a space that's 50 feet high. You're up on these landings of the stairwell. So you were looking out on a huge area. Our construction coordinator found a material that's used as uh, an erosion uh, material. They basically use it for holding gravel together when you're building roads. It's kind of honeycombed plastic, so fairly large scale and relatively inexpensive. So we used that to cover one complete side. You could still see through it. You still actually saw some of the structure of the back of the CIC, which we then just painted to get it into a metallic textures. And so for a relatively inexpensive build, you got a set that was huge in physical scope. And then at one end of it, we wound up putting a green screen up and visual effects extended it several hundred more feet and then used that for one sequence. The hull is breached and starts to collapse along towards us and people get sucked out into space. And and so we were able to get just a couple of really big, spectacular shots that then involved visual effects. The physical shooting had a scale and an epicness to it, and it was uh, it was just a lot of fun to do because it was and it was also just a visual pun too. We were saying we were between the inner and outer hulls of the ship, and we were in fact between the inner and outer hulls of our ships. So mm. It was quite fun and a relatively quick, inexpensive, and kind of epic solution. So it was great. Hmm. So what design then are you most proud of for the Battlestar series? Gosh, I can't really pick one. Because to me, it's such a cohesive whole. And I think just the four seasons and four episodes of the miniseries taken as a whole 
was just a spectacular thing to work on. And so many people did such great stuff. You know, I love, you know, Demetrius was a fun ship to do. The keel was fun. The initial miniseries stuff, the CIC, the basic design of the ship was great. Cylon ship was a lot of fun to do. The Pegasus. So so it all kind of rolled. To me, it's, it's just the complete thing as a whole, really, you know, to me, what the design was about, not any individual item. So now you are working on Caprica, which is a departure for you, because uh, if Battlestar Galactica was, like you mentioned, like sort of used items and it was an aircraft carrier in space, Caprica, at least from the pilot that we've seen, seems very different. So how would you describe the design aesthetic for Caprica? Wow, that's that's a tough one because we're still evolving, of course. It's very interesting because we are trying to create a world that in a sense is... 40 years or so, 40 to 50 years before Battlestar. And so we need to create in our minds and the viewers' minds that world. And the world that we created for Battlestar was essentially our world uh, with a few you know, modern enhancements. They had the ability to travel through space considerably further and faster than we do. But other than that, it truly did feel like it was our world. So with Caprica, we're trying to find that balance again, that it is still our world, but we need to create in some ways an even more retro sense. We want people to feel like it's that world 40 years earlier. It does have a somewhat more period feel, though not a specific thing. We're not, for example, using all 1930s cars or anything, but we are using older items in the show. The wardrobe has a more period European ethnic feel to it. There certainly is a, I think, going to be an element of kind of film noir in terms of its sensibilities. But it's, as I say, it's an evolving process, and there are also totally modern elements that are in it. And again, I think that's something that we established in Galactica, that there were modern elements and slightly more period. And so if you take all of those things back that distance of time, uh, I think it's still there. There are totally modern things. But overall, there's maybe a slightly more period feel to it. It's going to be very interesting. Again, it's great storytelling, much like Battlestar is. I have read a number of scripts, and none of which I'll tell you anything about. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a lot of great stuff in it, and the pilot is just the beginning of the story. There's going to be some great stuff in it, I think. It's more personal in some ways than Battlestar, although that's hard to imagine because in spite of being a huge epic drama, Battlestar was also very intensely personal and individual character driven. Caprica is definitely the same. We haven't had a huge destruction of humanity yet, though, so that very large thing is taken away and society is is still functioning. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that develops uh, because it does, it is a TV series. And again, it's not a totally linear thing. I know Ron Moore, I'm sure, has a sense of where the story begins, heads to, and finishes. But it's not all spelled out in one complete swoop. There is not a sort of like, yes, here's what's happening in episodes 1 through 53, and we know exactly what it is. We know the general tendencies of of the characters and of the plot lines, uh, but as with someone writing a novel, your characters tell you things as they develop, and as the show develops, uh, it will feed back to the writers, to the design, to uh, to everything. It will develop its own aesthetic, both in the design and, I think, in the style 
of the show and uh, in where the show goes. So it's the beginning of a new journey. And as I say, we've just finished shooting the first episode and uh, we start shooting the second one on, on Monday. And then there'll be a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, etc. very quickly following those. Uh, it's on a seven-day shooting schedule, which is actually one day faster than Galactica's shooting schedule. So it comes at you pretty quick. And it will be February before we know it. We'll have finished shooting the first season. And It'll actually probably be airing the beginning shows. I'm, I'm not sure what their air dates are. I think they were announced recently, but I don't remember exactly when it is. So. But I'm looking forward to seeing it, too. It's, uh, I'm sure it will be like Battlestar. I mean, I always, I may have known how the episodes ended, but I always loved seeing the cut and the final episode because it was always different. It always got better. Things were dropped, things were augmented, storylines were pushed that you thought were more recessive and others that you thought were important fell into the background. So I'm sure the same will happen on Caprica, and I'm I'm dying to see those too. So. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned that uh, things have an evolution that will eventually become what we know as, of the Battlestar universe, and I'm wondering how much the viewers will see in terms of something that's brand new. In other words, we know there's some technology that will evolve into Battlestar, but I guess your challenge is to come up with things that kind of exist outside that design track that never made it to the military side or things that were civilian and they were perhaps futuristic to us or to the Capricans, but they still fit within that sort of design of the colonies, right? Yes. And we don't even know what those are yet, and I'm sure there will be some. I mean, one thing that was in the uh, pilot of the show itself, Caprica itself, uh, that we never saw in Battlestar is the uh, the hollow band and the uh, uh, the computer sheets, the, the paper that was was a computer. Mm-hmm. So that certainly is in the show, and the hollow bands and the virtual world that has, uh, I'm sure, will develop further and play an important role. Though again. None of us quite know where that's going. That will evolve as the show goes on. The first Cylon itself will evolve. So it's going to be very interesting to see where all of that goes. And as I say, I've seen some of the first scripts, but we're going to be shooting, I guess, 18 of them. So we've got a lot of them ahead of us. And then I'm sure they're planning for more seasons. So it will be an evolving thing for all of us. Uh, I guess I just get the advantage. I, I catch it a year or so yeah. I get some of the clues a year ahead of everybody else. <laughs> One last question, because I've always been curious about this, is in Battlestar, did they ever really build a full-scale mock-up of a silent centurion, or was it all completely CG? It was all CG. By a certain point, they had had a kind of a half Cylon built that they used for lighting stand-in to just get their modeling on. And occasionally we would use a little piece of it, but it was 99.9% CG. Okay, so for Caprica, at least for what I've seen from the pilot, they have one central character who is a pretty big character, but it's only one, one of them exists. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is it still the intention to always create everything in CG for that one Cylon prototype? Or did they ever say that it might be easy just to like make one? We will be looking at possibly building a um, one physical version of the U87 robot, which is the Cylon-like one. I think it will only it would only be used from a purely practical standpoint to uh, if you have a, a sequence, for example, where it's just standing in the background and not really doing anything. Mm. But the minute 
it starts to become a character, that has to go over to the CG world just for exactly that, for character. Even when it's standing still, for the most part, it's like an actor. You know, when an actor is standing still in a scene, they're not dead. They're, they're not a wax dummy. You can't just kind of go, well, we'll save having the actor in the scene. We'll put up the Madame Tussauds model of them <laughs> in the background there, which is kind of what you would have if you put the robot up as a built piece. You've got a little more leeway because it is a mechanical piece to start with. But I think we will wind up building one. We will use it occasionally. There may be moments where they're working on a robot that is inert and disassembled, for example, at which point having the physical piece to manipulate makes perfect sense. Hmm. But the minute you start to activate the character inside, I think that becomes a CG character and, and moves over because it is, in spite of being a, a robotic piece, it is a, a living and breathing element. Even the little Serge robot that's in the uh, Greystone's house, that I think it's the kind of thing that you just need, the thing that CGI brings to it, which is just the lights moving on and it's changing. It's got just little bits of motion that, that let you know it's a living thing of its own style. So I think we'll be mostly, again, 99% in the, the CG world whenever we're, we're dealing with the robots. Well, thank you very much, Doug, for talking with me. I, uh, I'm, my pleasure. I'm so glad we got to talk finally after uh, yeah, after, talking and, after much too long. Yeah. So I wish you the best of luck, and I hope to uh, hear, hear from you again. And once uh, Caprica gets rolling, maybe we can talk again. Yes, I hope the show does well. I, I hope the fans are happy with it, and uh, I think they will be. The scripts that I've seen thus far, to me, are as exciting and interesting in their own way as the Battlestar scripts were. Many of the same writers are working on them. Uh, Ron Moore is deeply involved, as is Jane Espenson, who did a number of the Galactica scripts. David Icke is deeply involved, so I think people won't be disappointed. The quality that was uh, was delivered in Galactica, I think, is going to be there in this. It's just going to be a different show, and I think that's the exciting part of it, too. It's not just the prequel to Battlestar and only slightly different. It will be its own entity. Thanks again to Doug for talking with us. Just a reminder, we will be covering Caprica when it starts in January of 2010. And we have a couple other episodes of Battlestar Galactica-related material that will also be coming out. So please stay subscribed and keep sending us correspondence. Again, our email is gquorum at gmail.com and our voicemail 301-358-5175. Follow us on Twitter at Galactica Quorum and also on Facebook. That's all for now. The Jump Clock is running. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.